God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Like I mentioned a little bit earlier, each year at Christ United Methodist Church, we celebrate a time called stewardship season, which may invoke some eye rolls or some sighs from some of you, but hang with me. I promise it's okay. Uh, during stewardship, we have an intentional time for us to reflect on the ways that we live into being the body of Christ within our own community of faith. We talk about what it means to, yes, invest financially in the church and how when we do so, it isn't a chore and it's not something that is required of every person who comes in the door. Instead, it's something that we do out of gratitude and love for our community and for God. Stewardship is also a perfect time for us to highlight some important ministries in our church and the many people who are impacted by the life of the church. Each week during offering, we'll get to watch a cool highlight video doing just that. Our approach here at Christ United during stewardship the past few years has been to really focus in on our mission, which is loving God serving others, transforming lives. Love, serve, transform. Each week, we will look at one of those aspects in relation to the scripture passage in Luke. Yes, friends, still in Luke. And in relation to just stewardship in general, too. I'm looking forward to going deeper into our mission with each of you as we work toward creating the realm of God here on earth. And loving God is actually the perfect place for us to begin during this series, because this is truly where our faith begins. Often as Christians, we do the other two things. We serve others and transform lives because of the way we work toward loving God. And there are a lot of ways each of us practice loving God out in the world. Service is a big one that we will focus on next week. We also do things like what we're doing now, attending worship together. We do things like being in small groups or studies, giving of our tithes and offerings. And as I list all of those out to you, I can't help but think of our membership vows. So when you join a United Methodist Church, these are the vows you take to faithfully participate in the life and ministry of our local congregation through our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. When I look at those vows listed out, I realize that this is exactly how we love God. We pray. We show up. We use the gifts God has given us. We serve and we witness to the way that Jesus is moving in each of our lives. As we look at our scripture passage today, we're going to zero in on just one of these aspects of our vows. The first one, prayers. We're going to talk about ways that prayer can really transform our lives. And prayer is one of those things that can be super intimidating to some of us. And it may come super easily to others of us. 
wherever you find yourself this morning, we will find some practical ways we can all use prayer to demonstrate our love for God. Last week, if you remember, we looked at Jesus' healing of the 10 men in the borderlands, and we talked about how it can be difficult at times to hear those stories of healing when so many of us are still yearning for healing in our own lives. Prayer can lead us with that same challenge. How does prayer become something more than simply a list of wants and needs and instead become an open communication between us and God? It's a really big question, and it's something we have to work on reframing in each of our own minds. We'll start this morning by looking at two of Jesus' parables that are found in Luke's gospel. They're found back to back. We're going to read just one of the parables first. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Jesus was telling them a parable, the disciples, about their need to pray continuously and to not be discouraged. He said, In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. Not a super great judge, clearly. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him asking, give me justice in this case against my adversary. For a while, the judge refused, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or respect people, which is a funny thing to say to yourself. But I will give this widow justice because she keeps bothering me. Otherwise, there will be no end to her coming here and embarrassing me. After finishing this parable, the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Won't God provide justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he be slow to help them? I tell you, God will give them justice quickly. But when the human one, or the Son of God, comes, will he find faithfulness on earth? These, this parable and the next one that we're going to read may not be super familiar parables to many of us. And like most of the parables we've looked at this past year, we can interpret this one in a number of different ways. For us this morning, the first parable shows us just how boldly we are expected to pray and to draw near to God. You see, the disciples and Jesus are journeying nearer to Jerusalem, and we can take this parable as Jesus encouraging the disciples to draw near to God, no matter what may come their way because bad things will come. And if an unjust judge provides justice, of course God will do even more than that because God is just, God is good, and God cares for humanity. If you are someone who struggles with how to pray, or maybe you struggle with knowing if prayer is even that important, then this first parable has a message for you. If you are someone who sees injustice in the world and yearns for change, 
then this first parable has a message for you. If you are someone who wonders if caring is even worth it sometimes, then this first parable has a message for you. We are not expected to take Jesus' story as if, if we badger someone enough, we'll get what we want, which may be good advice if you're a child and super annoying and have the flu and you want your mom to just give in. But instead, we are continued, we are expected to continuously stay in touch with God to continuously pray and talk to God, to work toward justice in the world, to keep caring, especially when it seems futile. Prayer or being in communication with God is essential to our faith. It's not about saying all of the right things or praying for the right amount of time throughout the day. We don't pray to get something out of it. We pray because we love God and we want to draw near to God. Let's check out that second parable. It comes right after verses 9 through 14. Jesus told this parable to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and looked on everyone else with disgust. Here's the parable. Two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words. God, I thank you that I am not like everyone else. Crooks, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. Not the best prayer if I were to judge prayers. But... The tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to look toward heaven. Rather, the tax collector struck his chest and said, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this person went to, down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. We get a, another parable on prayer right after that first one. While the first shows us that we should continuously and boldly be in prayer, this one shows us that prayer is more than proving we're better than others because of all the holy things we do. The Pharisee tries to show up how much better he is than everyone around him, while the tax collector calls out for mercy. Now, both men are totally focused on themselves, but the tax collector seems to have a relationship with God at the center of his heart. He wants mercy. He wants to be made new. While the Pharisee seems to be holding on to that holier-than-thou type of attitude. From both of these instances of prayer, we learn a little bit more about what it means to love God. 
when we engage in prayer, when we engage in a relationship with Christ, we have to be honest. We don't have to say all of the right words. We don't have to follow some special God-given format. The most important thing is that we go boldly, honestly, and humbly to our Creator and that we seek out a relationship, not a one-way street where we list out a laundry list of desires. We don't pray to get something out of it. We pray because we truly love God and we want to draw near to God. One way we engage in loving God is to be in relationship with God and prayer is a great starting point for each of us. Even if we may find prayer difficult or confusing, we are all capable of speaking honestly to God, even if it's uncomfortable or awkward at first. You see, widows and tax collectors were looked down upon in Jesus' day. Yet in these two parables, the widow and the tax collector are the ones who are elevated because of the way they boldly cry out, one for justice and one for mercy. We are all capable of drawing near to God in this way through prayer. Jesus shows us that even those of us who may seem least qualified to pray are indeed called and encouraged to engage with God through prayer. Praying can be a difficult practice for us to get into. One of the most influential preachers of modern history is a preacher by the name of Fred Craddock. In his writing, he shares two important quotes about prayer that I personally cling to in moments when I feel like I'm struggling to stay in communication with God. The first is this. Nope, nope. Is there another one first? Sorry, I put them in the wrong order. Don't read that, y'all. Okay, here. Fred Craddock writes, all we know in the life of prayer is asking, seeking, knocking, and waiting. Trust sometimes fainting, sometimes growing angry. This quote gives me hope that I'm not doing something wrong when I pray, that it's okay to grow faint and angry. The main point of prayer is staying in connection, in communication with our creator. All right, you already spoiled it. Let's see that next quote too. This is similar, and it's one that I go to when I wonder if my prayer is even worth it. The source is unknown. Only after you have knocked at the door until your knuckles bleed and have still received no answer, do you begin to understand what prayer is about. This is a quote I have written and posted on my desk because there's often times where I cry out and I pray and I don't get what I expect to get. This quote reminds me that prayer isn't about receiving. It's about connecting. As we enter into this stewardship season together, the similarities between why we pray and why we give are obvious. We don't pray to get something out of it. 
And we do not give financially during stewardship to get something out of it either. In both cases, we do so to draw near. We do so because we are moved by something deep down inside to react to God's extraordinary love in each of our lives. It's a reaction to a radical kind of love. We're not doing it to get more money in return or to prove that we're better than others. Prayer and tithing or generosity are two deeply personal things that come from loving God. I do believe our lives are transformed when we set aside ourselves and we focus on God. When we boldly cry out and when we selflessly give of all that we have. In the year 1755, John Wesley, the unintended founder of the Methodist movement, he held what he called a covenant service. It was the first of its kind. The service was based on practices that Wesley had seen within Puritan communities as a way to focus on spirituality and to bring everyone's relationship with God to the forefront of their worship practices. The very first Methodist covenant service happened in 1755, took place in London, and Wesley wrote that almost 2,000 people attended this service. Now, these covenant services have evolved along with the Methodist church, and now many Methodist congregations hold such services on the first Sunday of the new year. Typically, Holy Communion is practiced, and everyone who's gathered together comes to renew their commitment to Christ and to the church. I bring up Wesley's covenant services because it was for these services that John Wesley wrote what we call the covenant prayer. It is one of the most famous writings of John Wesley. We have it today in a modern version. And I find it to be an excellent starting point for those of us who are looking to go deeper into our prayer life. It helps keep us focused on loving God. As we conclude each message during stewardship, I want to invite us all to pray Wesley's covenant prayer together. Will you join me? I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O oh wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth let it also be made in heaven. Amen.